Welcome to the Fit Girl Magic Podcast. If you are ready to find your inner magic, develop great habits, and a rock steady mindset to feel confident, comfortable, and fit in your body, you are in the right place. I am Kim Barnes Jefferson, and I'll be giving you weekly doses of health, fitness, and life tips sprinkled with humor and real talk. If you're ready to be consistent without the stress of perfection, magic makers, it's time to slip into your favorite pair of PJs, grab some coffee, kick back, and listen to today's show. Hey, magic makers. Today's episode is just a little bit different than what we've been talking about. And I've wanted to have this conversation. It just took me a while to find someone to have this conversation. And I wanted to talk about grief. And I wanted to talk about grief because, you know, over the last several years, there's been a lot of things for us to process. And the thing about grief is that it is a landscape that knows no bounds or terrain of emotions, you know, There are intricate pathways for us to either hold space for tears or sometimes just sit quietly or just find unspoken corners of our lives. You know, um, in our conversation today with Krista, you know, we talked about like, you know, here in our world, we are looking for these quick fixes and, you know, put grief into this nice, neat package And grief doesn't work that way. You know, we talk about the stages of grief and, you know, wondering, are we doing things the right way? Are we doing things the wrong way? And, you know, with my conversation with Krista, you'll see there's no manual, there's no roadmap, there's no handbook. You know, everyone's process of grief is unique to your own experience. And there is no linear way. There's no checklist to complete when it comes to grief. And so one of the the big things that, you know, Chris and I talk about is like, how do you navigate that, right? How do you navigate, you know, these different stages, if you will? And how do you process this? And know that from time to time, there's going to be this grief grenade that comes your way. And Krista has created a great safe haven, a sanctuary for those women who are grappling with loss from, you know, shared stories of vulnerability, they're embraced so that you feel like you're not alone, that you're not this person out there feeling like this third wheel and no one knows exactly what you're going through. So I wanted to, um, to have this conversation. I hope that, you know, for someone anyone who might be going through this or as a friend who might be going through this, feel free to share this episode and know that there are people in your corner that are here to love and support you. So here is the conversation. And here is this week's iTunes review. It comes to you from Dub by V. She writes, I love the podcast. You speak your mind and you don't sugarcoat anything. I love your energy and your good spirit. Oh, that just fills my heart. You don't even understand how much I enjoy these reviews. So please, if you feel the need, please go to iTunes or wherever you watch, watch, listen to this podcast. Do me a favor and hit me up with a five-star review. I absolutely love them. They mean the world to me and I will read it on my podcast. So thank you so much, Dub by V. It does mean the world to me. Ah, Magic Makers. This one, I am really excited about it. It's, it's, it's a tough subject, but it's something that in the last, I'd say the last few years, given everything we've gone through with, um, you know what I'm talking about, um, it is something we really need to talk about, something that we've never had, no one sat us down and had a conversation about how do you deal with this? And today's guest, uh, Krista St. Germain, she's on, and we're talking about grief. And it's a subject that, you know, many of us think that we don't have to deal with it till like way down the line. But, you know, in Krista's life and in my life and in recent times, we've all had our share of those like random knocks at the door, or we think it's going to be a great Tuesday and it just turned into be a very different day for us. And so Krista, that is her, her thing. It happened to her. And she was like, she didn't have the resources or support. And she's like, you know what? I don't want anyone else to feel what I felt. 
And so I yeah. want her on the show because I'm sure there's some people out there who you have nobody to talk to or your friends mean well, but they just don't know what the hell to say to you. Hey, ladies, can we talk about menopause for a second? Because seriously, why didn't anyone clue us in onto this crazy roller coaster ride? I know that when it hit me, it felt like what the hell is going on? But fear not, my fellow magic makers, because I got your back. Does this sound like you? Hot flashes that make you feel like you are on the sun. Mood swings that make a roller coaster ride seem like a walk in the park and your libido, goodbye. Yep, it's time to embrace this menopause journey. That is why I have whipped up this fabulous free checklist to help you navigate the hormonal mayhem. No more guessing games or feeling like something is going haywire. It's time to take charge and show menopause who's in control. So if you're wondering, is it menopause? I got you. Grab your free checklist right now and say, bring it on menopause because it's time to conquer this journey with confidence and style. Do not wait. Get your hands on this free checklist today. Okay, shut up already. Send you the sheet. Do me a favor, grab the link in my bio. So Krista, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is exactly the kind of conversation that I I love having when people are interested in talking about grief. For me, it was a Sunday. <laughs> yeah. A Tuesday. But yeah, I mean, you know, life was humming along. I had remarried, first marriage kind of went down in flames. Second marriage was like the redemption story, proof mm-hmm. that, you know, true love was possible. And I was just feeling really good. I was 40. And um, we were coming back from a trip and I had a flat tire and he wanted to change it. Stubborn guy that he was, didn't want to wait on AAA, just baby, let me change the tire. So he went to change the tire. And as he was trying to get access to the tire, a driver that we later found out had meth and alcohol in his system oh. just didn't yeah, didn't see us on the side of the interstate and just crashed right into the back of <clears throat> of Hugo's car and and you know within a day he was gone. So I went from literally like it felt like, you know, like you just said, like you just totally not expecting it and then wham, your whole life changes. And what I learned was that I was completely misinformed about grief. Mm. I didn't know I, I I really only knew about the five stages which is one of many grief theories. We can talk about that. You know, I thought that time healed. All these myths of grief that made my life harder, I, right. I bought into as many of us do. And so it's really important to me that other people have more accurate information about grief and are prepared to support themselves through something, even if it's not as traumatic as spousal loss, right? Right. It was funny that you say that because one of the things I, you know, as I was stalking you, one of the things I read that you wrote that you said, um, there is no end to grief. It's not a game of golf. And I just was yeah. like, you know, from everything you hear, like you said, there are stages and so, you know, supposedly after you hit the final stage, are you over or, you know, do you move on to another level? And so I, I, th- I think what you just said is that for anyone grieving right now, you know, it could be years that you're still feeling raw. Yeah. I mean, grief is just so unique for everyone, but I know for sure I had in mind because, because what I had heard was about the five stages Mm -hmm. and because in our culture, we use language like journey, which kind of implies that there's a destination or an end. And also having, having a history of kind of being a high achiever, like somebody who always wanted to do it right and impress Mm. other people. I was like, okay, I'm going to do grief right. Right. Yeah. And if I, if I follow the steps, then I'll get to the land, wherever that is. And, right. you know, and I'll be done. And, and what I learned the hard way is that it, you know, you grief is a natural human response to loss and we, we can't go back in time and undo the loss. Right. So we're always going to have a response to it and it might evolve and change over time, but there really is no such thing as an end of grief Mm. that would require us to go backwards in time and undo the loss. Right. So the goal isn't so much as to get to the end, which is a mythical destination as it is to move from, you know, an experience that's happening to us to an experience that we are creating for ourselves, right. To integrate what has happened, decide what we want to make it mean, and then decide who we want to be given Mm. that it's happened. So we adjust, right. We integrate. Right. And that doesn't mean that we have to have a life that's less than what we love. Right. Right. Um, 
but it but it does mean we want to stop telling ourselves that it's supposed to end because yeah. if, if you know if that's a, that's just such a recipe for suffering when we think we you know so much time has passed we should feel better by now or we should be better or we should be doing it differently we're doing grief wrong there's just no such thing it's, it's all it's all nonsense and you know i i think you're right cuz i think you know you just described a lot of my listeners the type a++ and mm-hmm. you know I want to earn the merit badge of grief. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to be that person who, you know, you go to a party and everyone's like whispering Mm -hmm. about you, you know, you don't, you just like, I I need to put this like facade on that. I'm great. Yeah, totally. Meanwhile, on the inside, your house is all junky and you're just a hot mess. And you're like, can I get through this hour without losing it? Yeah. It's so, it's so it, right? It's so it. And and then if you think grief is supposed to look in a particular way and it's not the experience that you're having and you try to like conform yourself into yeah. this thing you, you think you're supposed to be having, it makes it harder to actually have the experience that you're having, right? And right. advocate for yourself and connect with other people at a time when you really need it. So yeah, it can be a hot mess. Yeah. Out so, there. So I'm glad we're having this conversation. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because it's like, you know, I think, like you said, everyone talks about the stages of grief and, you know, and I think when you say the stage, I think many of us think like, is it two weeks I'm in this period or three weeks? Like, you know, what, mm-hmm. you know, are, do the stages intermingle? And well, first let's rewind. What are the stages of grief? Just yeah. for anyone who's like, I have no idea what stages they're yeah. talking about. <laughs> Totally. First of all, if somebody has no idea what the five stages of grief are, I'm actually happy for them. And <laughs> let's just let's just pretend we never heard this. So, but so the five stages of grief it originated from the work that Dr. Elizabeth Kubler Ross and David Kessler did back in the like late 60s. Yeah. Um, and I've I've wanted to say, I've like confusing myself as late 60s, late 70s. I I don't do so well with numbers. But anyway, uh- at, at that time there there wasn't a lot of conversation about grief. So mm-hmm. at that time, that work was really important. The five stages that they came up with were denial, anger, bargaining, depression, mm. and acceptance. What's interesting to note about that work is that it wasn't actually about people who had lost someone or something. Mm. It was about hospice patients. Ah. It was an anecdotal study of what was happening to people who were coming to terms with their own ah. terminal diagnosis. So mm-hmm. yeah. So that so yeah. So I mean, you coming to terms with, you know, a diagnosis is very mm-hmm. different than your spouse, dog person is no longer a part of your life. Exactly. But also it was really valuable at the time because nobody was really talking about it. Nobody was normalizing what could happen in grief. So originally they wrote their book um, on death and dying, and then they wrote on grief and grieving and extended those anecdotal stages from death and dying to grief. And in in the you know times between then and now, so much research has been done around grief, mm. but somewhere that that staged theory caught on in our popular culture. And that's what most doctors are taught in medical school. We that's what steps. we just kind of, yeah. Like we just like stopped thinking that there were other theories and just went with this one. And which is, again, it was valuable in its time, but it's, it's limited and it's not reflective of the experience that a lot of people have. And if you think that's what your experience is supposed to be like, yeah. then you'll be asking yourself questions like, am I angry enough? Am I in denial? Should I be bark? Is this the part where I get depressed? Have I accepted? Right? Like we try, we try to take what is this crazy, like non-linear, messy human experience and put it into nice little linear chunks and stages. And it just doesn't reflect what it actually feels like to experience a significant loss, which is really unfortunate because then people kind of use it against themselves. So that's what I knew coming into grief. And, and that's why, you know, I, I don't want people to only think about the five stages. It's one idea, but even it's Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, when she, when she was like later in life, really expressed her regret at how people had used her work and turned it into something that was linear and, and clean cut because that she knew that wasn't the experience. Yeah. Cause it's like, I, you know, I, I, if, if we kind of go through those five steps, you know, 
what if I did accept? Like, so what if my I have accepted? Like, hey, they're not here anymore. Then it doesn't like does it mean I go backwards? Like, in my mind, I'm like, for some people, like, you can't accept. Like, you're there. I'm I'm accepting. Like, it's 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 happened, and I'm in the moment. But you're like, when do I get angry? Or do like you know, it's kind of like Monopoly. Do I pass? Yeah. Pass go and get two hundred dollars. Like where? Right, and and what does it even mean to accept? Accept what? As though it's a place that we end up, as opposed to like sometimes I experience acceptance and sometimes I don't. So, yeah, it's it's one of those things that um it, it was useful in its day, but also if it doesn't reflect your grief experience, it doesn't mean you're doing grief wrong. And it's definitely not linear. It's definitely not neat and tidy. Um, you know, there's there's a lot more than the five stages of grief for people to think about. Right. And you've hit on a, a, a thing that I know that many of my women will resonate with doing it right. Mm, yeah. And, right. you know, like there, you know, there's no playbook, you know, there's no playbook because your playbook's going to be different than my playbook, than someone else's playbook. And you're, you, and, you know, many people right now be like, yeah, you know, I could be okay. And then you're like, oh shit, I wasn't okay. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what if I just never made myself wrong, no matter how I felt? Yeah. And so I think for a lot of the women out there, you know, when someone, you know, you do coaching for um, widows and it's, so it's like, when someone says, well, how do I do it right? You know, what is your answer to that? Yeah. I mean, they're really just, wh- what makes something right is that we decide to believe it's right for us, mm. right? It doesn't exist outside of us. And so I I believe that we just get to be the boss of that. We get to be the authority on what is right for our own grief experience, knowing that it is, it's unique. It, you know, everyone's experience, even if we are all grieving the same person, right? Or the same situation, we mm. will each have had a different experience of that person or that situation. We True. will each have had different life experiences leading up to that loss. Mm. So of course, we're always going to have a different experience, right? It's going to be unique, like a fingerprint. And just because it's different doesn't mean it's wrong or bad. It just right. is different. And so it's, it's, recognizing that and embracing that. And part of it, I think, is also knowing that, you know, all emotions are a part of grief. There, yeah. You know, we, we kind of tend to think about certain emotions, but really all the full spectrum of emotion, grief really just is all of our thoughts and feelings and behaviors about a loss. And, and that's just so broad. So, I just try to get away entirely from this idea of thinking about, am I doing it right? And mm. just be like, no, that is not relevant to me because there is no right here. However, it happens for me is how it's supposed to happen for me. Right. And so it's okay. you, so it's, you know, for a lot of people, it's letting go. And as a type A plus plus with a side of A plus plus, that means you there's things you can't control, right? Like, you know, one, you yeah. can't control death. As much as you want to, you can't control it. Yeah. So it's like just and I think this is also one of with the challenges for my ladies is being in the moment, right? It's mm-hmm. like, we've had it, like, we're, here's my to-do list. Grief isn't on my to-do list today. Yeah. Yeah. And being socialized in this productivity culture, right? Where right. We, we tend to associate our value with what we get done. And then a grief experience can really impact our ability to be productive, which if we've wrapped up our value in that productivity, which I totally did, right? It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. how fast can I get back to functioning and how fast can I get back to work as opposed to, okay, what, what is actually supportive? What do I need right now? Right. Like maybe I do need to sit on the couch for the next 30 days and and be okay with, you know, barely getting out of my pajamas. Mm -hmm. Totally. Cause 'cause it's going to be different for everyone and you might as well not make yourself wrong for it. Yeah. And it's fun. It's because it, as, as I was reading through your story, and I, you know, I can see myself doing that. I could see a lot of the women who are listening to that, where you're just like, I have other people who are going to look at me mm-hmm. for either support, either look to see if I'm a hot mess. And so mm-hmm. the facades go up. Yeah. 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 And how are we socialized, especially as women, to think of ourselves as caretakers and caregivers, right? right? If we're the ones that are always doing for other people, then we tend to put ourselves last on the list, mm-hmm. which, and, and then we t- tend to kind of, you know, 
source our validation outside of ourselves. So instead of, it's just like a recipe for disaster. It has us looking for other people to tell us we're doing grief, right? Right. Right. Taking care of other people sometimes at our own expense. Mm-hmm. When what we really need is to be like, wait a minute, I have permission to not be productive. I have permission to put myself first on the list. I don't, I do not have to be the selfless caregiver. I can actually take care of myself. What do I need? Right. And, you know, with that said, you know, for, I, I think for most people as, as, you know, parents and, you know, depending on what age your children are feeling like you have to be now the rock, Ugh. you know, you, you know, God forbid you have tears in front of your children or mm-hmm. let them see that, you know what, I am struggling to. Yeah. I actually just taught a solo parenting and grief class today. And that was one of the things we were talking about is how much pressure and stress we put on ourselves when we believe that we have to be strong. But your people will literally tell you these things, right? Mm-hmm. They'll say, be, be strong, be strong for your kids. Right. Be, exactly. And, and then it makes us feel so so much pressure at a time when what we need is less pressure, right? Yeah. Who said it's better to be strong? What, where, what, right? And then also, what does that do to your kids? Or, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about your listeners and they might, it might not be spousal loss for them, but if you're going through something, some sort of grief experience, what message does it send to your kids? Show them your experience. Right. It no, says it, emotions are are bad. Mm-hmm. You should experience them alone. Mm-hmm. Right? You need to hide them. As opposed to, can I be a human and let my kids in on what's actually going on in an age appropriate way? That and also role models to them how healthy humans deal with emotion. Yeah, and you know, I, and I, I think to Why myself, it's like if you were just to sit down and like cry in front of your kid and just be like, you know what? having a bad day, you know, how much more validating would that be for them when they are having a bad day? 100% agree with you. Versus, you know, you know, hiding in the bathroom and crying. Yeah. Yeah. But it goes against, like, I don't know what you learned growing up, but it goes against, I think what so many of the women I work with learned growing up, they learned, you know, if you're going to cry, go to your room you know, that, that you should deal with those things by yourself or that it means that you're weak if you do. Mm -hmm. And so it can be a hard pattern to break, right? It's a very hard pattern to break. There's a, um, there's a movie that Cameron Diaz was in and, um, the, it was, she was the mistress of the woman's husband and the woman is like crying in front of her. And she's like, look, you don't cry. You cry on the inside, like a winner. And, and, you know, that's, that's what, like, you know, you were told, like, you know, you you don't want to be that emotional woman. Right. God forbid. God forbid you would be human and have emotion. Yeah. And so, you know, so many of us were were taught that. And so, you know, you, you're trying to be the strong one, or you don't want to be that person who everyone feels sorry for. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I very much relate to that. It, you know, f- and for me, it was some of that because he and I worked together. And so, you know, everybody at work, when I went back to work, knew him. Some of them knew right. him better than they did me because he'd been there 20 years. I'd only been there 10. Um, and so there was this pressure that I put on myself, you know, to to be what I thought they wanted me to be so that they would accept me, you know, and then also not knowing how to deal with a lot of that emotion for me ended up uh, with a lot of eating. Yeah. Right. Like a, a lot of eating to try to, to make the feelings go away. And as we know, that doesn't work out so well. Right. You're like, no one's ever won yeah. that game. And if you, yeah. If you have yeah, call I mean, us. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Or like for some people it's shopping or it's drinking. Right. You know, it's other coping behaviors that because we just weren't taught ways to deal with our feelings. So we do the best we can. And so, you know, as someone who's like listening in there, like, you know what? You're like, Mm -hmm. that's me. I'm like, you, you, you hit every nail on the head, you know, and it's like, and it could be spousal loss. It could be parent loss. It could be grieving a pet. Um, You know, it all hits us differently. Um, and so, you know, what do you tell people? Like, what are some of the, I don't know, like, what are some of like the first 
steps in just kind of as you process that your new life. Yeah. So I would also say we can even broaden up the definition because, you know, sometimes in in my line of work, I'm always thinking about grief as it relates to death, but really grief is just the natural response to any perceived loss. So it could Mm. be you lost your job, right? It could be, um, you know, there's just so many things that fall under the umbrella of loss. We expected something to go some way and it went some other way, you know, and that's loss. So, uh, but if it's an intense loss, you know, I would expect that in the beginning, not that I want to say that there are concrete stages or that everybody's experience is the same. It's absolutely not. But in the beginning for many people, it does feel like your whole world just fell apart right? Mm -hmm. You do kind of feel like you don't know what planet you're on. Sometimes you feel really numb. Sometimes you have what we call grief fog, which is like the, the, you know, prefrontal cortex, the executive functioning part of your brain, it kind of like gets over capacity. And Mm -hmm. it's like almost like that buffering wheel that you see when your computer can't quite handle (laughs) the software. That's like how it feels in your brain. It feels like there's cotton candy or fluff in there. Mm. And you, sometimes you don't, you know, maybe you are always a detail oriented person and all of a sudden you can't remember details for anything. You, you you know, like for you bought toilet paper 12 times and now you've got a mountain of it because every time you get to the store, you can't remember, you don't need it. It's stuff like that. That can really, if you don't know that that's a common part of grief, it can make you question your sanity. You can start to think I'm going crazy. It's really not. It's just grief fog. And usually it lifts, you know, time. It takes time for that to change. Sometimes, sometimes people feel super numb. And then they'll worry about themselves because they feel numb. I know I definitely did. I was really high functioning in the beginning and actually really worried about myself because I was so high functioning. I thought, right. is there something wrong with me? Because I'm actually, I've got it together. Right. You know, and then I would fall apart, but then judge myself when I had it together. So, you know, it's just, it's just, it's a really messy, usually for most people in early acute grief. And then what tends to happen is that it starts to smooth out in a way. We kind of get back to a functioning place where if we wanted to go back to work, we probably could. You know, we're getting the things done, the day-to-day things. People on the outside probably look at us and think we're doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. And we can understand why they think that because we are maintaining appearances, right? And But on the inside, we don't feel good. We don't right. feel like they think we do. And they, and you will hear things like, "Oh, you're so strong. You're doing mm. so great." And you're like, mm, "I don't really feel. I don't really feel so great. If this is what great feels like, I don't. I don't think I want this, right? right. But we're functioning. I call that a grief plateau. Mm. And it and I think it's an important place to notice because when you're there, what what happens a lot of times is that people will be inclined to stop there. They will be inclined to think, well. You know, I've heard about this new normal that people keep talking about in grief. So maybe that's it for me. Maybe this is my new normal and maybe I should just get used to what this is like. So for me, that was like, I should just be grateful that I had him and I should just focus on the kids. And at least I had my shot at love. And at least I know what that feels like, but it's probably never going to happen again, but I can just, I'll, I'll be okay. I'll get used to it. Right. Right. As opposed to what we actually know is possible now, which is post-traumatic growth, which is no, you can, you can take any life experience, grief, trauma, anything that's happened to you, right. And use it to inform the life that you want to live in the future. You can make, you can not just bounce back to where you were before, but you can actually take a life experience and use it to bounce forward, right. Hmm. To go forward and live a life that you love even more th- than the life that you had before. Not that you wanted the loss, right? but because it's it's your prerogative as a human. Right. You know, I, I kind of think about it like uh, a tornado because I live in yeah. Kansas, you know, talked about that. She's like, where do you live? Yeah. Nobody Shock- knows. Shockingly, in Kansas, we, we have tornadoes. <laughs> we, we had a tornado two days ago. You had a tornado? Boston? It was like a EF zero, but it was like not fully fought, but it was close enough. No way. Yes. Climate climate change is real. Oh, that's crazy. Well, so okay, proof that it can happen anywhere, right? Yeah. Like a tornado comes and it knocks your house down. You you need somewhere to live. So you could either try to rebuild the exact same house that you had. Or 
if you've lived there for any amount of time, you've probably learned some things from living mm. there, right? Like maybe you want a different kitchen layout. Maybe you want a bigger, you know, bathroom in the primary, like whatever you want something different. And you know that because of your life experience in that house, that's post-traumatic growth, right? It's taking what you've learned in your life and applying it to your future choices. Mm. So for me, it was like, do I want to be in this job anymore? I don't think I do. Yeah. Is this, that's what I want to do. If life is this short, do I want to be mm. in aviation? Like my husband did. It was his passion. He loved it. I, I didn't. So for me, it was a ch chance to say, you know what? This isn't really what I want. I don't hate it, but it's not the mark I really want to leave on the world. Right. So I left that job and I did something else. It's, it's an opportunity to reconcile relationships. Is this relationship healthy for me? Am I just in it because I've always been in it? Are these the right. people I want to surround myself with? How about my spiritual life? Am I just swallowing what was taught to me, but I don't actually, it's not something I've chosen for myself? What do I choose for myself? Right? Making those choices that live, that, that have you living a life that's even more aligned with what you want. And, and you, and you integrate, right? It doesn't mean you're not sad anymore about what happened. It doesn't mean you don't have emotions about it. It just means you've now decided how you want to integrate that part of your life into your life and you're making choices accordingly. Gotcha. That's, that's what we're going for. Yeah. And it, and it's sometimes like taking that step away from yourself and just kind of, if you could like remove your body from your body and just kind of take a view of, you know, that big 30,000 foot view of your life and be like, am I happy or is it grief? Am I, you know, where, you know, where are the pieces in my life that are causing me to like question myself? Yeah. Like what is aligned and what isn't, what do I value? Who am I even? Right. You know, all of those questions that can feel a little bit overwhelming, but there's so much value in, in answering them and really bringing yourself back to that point where you, you see that you do get to choose. I, I just, I know for so many people, we get into autopilot mode. Yeah, We're just like, we're, you know, okay, well, I got to get, you know, I get the education and then I get the marriage and I get the job and I have the kids and I do the things. And, you know, it's just, we're just doing what we think you're supposed to do as adults on the planet. And then you don't know that it's precious and you don't know that it could end at any time. And then, and, and then it does, right. Then something happens. And then it's like a, a huge wake up call but in, in the most painful way and also in the most opportunistic way, right? right? It sucks and you get to decide, all right, now what? Who am I? Who do I want to be? Am I being who I want to be? Right? And then it just like shakes you. And, you know, even as we're having this discussion, you know, I think it's also worth, even if, you know, the whole God forbid Having that conversation with your aging parents, having that conversation mm -hmm. with your spouse about what if, please, so that please. you don't have those um, guilt feelings of, you know, for example, um, when my uncle died, um, he knew he was dying and he wrote this very specific letter about how he wanted things done. And mm -hmm. You know, so there was no, what would have dad wanted conversations? Yeah. There was no, you know, what would he have wanted? It was, you know, he was very like crystal clear. And he was basically was like, um, my mother was his executor. And she's like, listen to what she's like, whatever she says, it's in this letter. So shut mm -hmm. up. Like, so wow, that it yeah. kind of like didn't have any infighting. And so, you know, when that happened, it kind of, I think, woke all of us up that, you know what? It, it is as sad as it's like, you don't want to ever think about those kind of things mm -hmm. to have kind of like to help you, you know, the, those of us who remain understand like, yeah. Cause sometimes you're like, well, what would Hugo wanted? Like, would he have wanted this? Would he have wanted that? And you like, you're like, but these aren't decisions I want to make right now. Like, like I have so many other decisions and then you put on top of yourself, like what the person yes. who's not here wants. Yes. And having been there and having not had those discussions, I, I know so deeply what you're saying, right? Where I genuinely didn't know in some of those instances what he wanted. And things like even basic things like passwords. 
Yes. Do I know how to access all the accounts? Do I do I know where everything is? And if you don't, it's, you know, I definitely encourage conversations ahead of time, detailed information ahead of time. S- makes your life so much easier if something were to happen. When something happens. It's not even if, it's yeah. when. And, it, and what made me, you know, one, my uncle and the, the letter, but the other thing is, you know, my, one of my husband's very good friends, sudden uh, death, very similar story to yours, couldn't get into his phone. Yeah. And you know, like, you know, you know how much stuff is in your phone, but until this happens, you're like, I can't do two factor authentication because I can't get into the phone. Like it just was, <laughs> and take the whole rigmarole to prove things. And you're just like, this is the last thing on earth I need right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. We had not, so Hugo had a, a son. Um, well, it was, he was technically a stepfather, but it was the only father that that Lance had ever known. And we didn't have that discussion of what money should be set aside for Lance. Right. And it's not my biological child, my stepchild. I, I really didn't know. So to, to go through that and figure it out, I mean, we, we got there, we figured it out, but wow, it would have been a lot easier if Hugo was, had said before, Hey, there was a letter. Plan. <laughs> right. There was no letter. Well, and I, and you know, you're fortunate that you knew about the relationship. That you mm-hmm. knew that what a special relationship they had versus, yeah. you know, you could have been a new relationship. Like, I don't know you. <laughs> yeah, totally. Right. Yeah. The, the discussions in advance. So valuable. And even discussions like, you know, not that you need your partner's permission to be in another relationship. Yes. But I've seen so many women who who never really heard that from their partner and what a yes. gift it would have been to hear, Hey, I'm okay. You know, you, you live for you and I love you and I want you to be happy and do what that means. Or, you know, they hold on to a business that, th- mm. that they don't want to hold on to or I've a property that. that they don't want to hold on to. And yeah, just giving permission to just, it's okay to let go, as you said, and, and live life the way that you want to live it when I'm gone. It's funny. That was, that was on my list because I, I have a, a friend, her her father died. They had this huge family business, and she's running it, and hates it. Mm, yeah, and no one in the family wanted it, and so she's just kind of stuck because you're like, you know, would dad have wanted us to sell? Mm-hmm. Would dad have wanted us just to like, you know, let it fade into the sunset? Like, and you're and she's stuck there, and they're still kind of in that like swirling vortex yeah. of what to do with this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It Honestly, it, it happens all the time. I see it happen all the time. A lot of people own businesses and the spouse dies and they're, they're trying to figure out what to do. Right. And, and you put so much pressure on themselves. Right. They put so much pressure. Cause like you, you know, if you were there from the beginning, you saw the grind and you're like, am I like, you know, being disrespectful if I'm like, I don't want to grind. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like you realize like aviation wasn't mm-hmm. your passion, you know? And if you, if, if you know, they, it was, it was also in a business you own, but yeah. you were like, you know what, what I've stuck it out because something he started and I felt like I needed to continue. Or did you, do you hold on yeah. to it? You know, imagine if you had children, yeah. like, do you hold on to it and you have little littles and do you hold on to it in the hope that your little littles want to evolve into the business? Mm-hmm. And then maybe they feel pressure because they don't want it. Yeah. And I and I think it's then even more complicated by just, I, I wish and hope and we're headed in this direction, I do believe, but that, that women are taught more and more that it is okay to want what we want. Yes. And it's okay to not want what we don't want. And we can make those decisions for ourselves. And it doesn't mean that we're self-centered or selfish or, you know, any of that. It just means that it's okay for us to live in accordance with the life that we want. And sometimes that's not what they would have wanted for us or what they wanted, you know? Yeah. And it's, you know, and the other thing is is talked about um, relationships. And I feel that, you know, there's judgment mm-hmm. you know there's a certain period i mean is there a certain period you know is there not a certain period you know and but i now feel like especially now like there are times when you knew your spouse that were that they were you know not going to make it based on yeah. a diagnosis it could be a sudden thing um 
that, you know, you should grieve a certain amount of time before you start a new relationship. And mm-hmm. there, um, my mom's um, neighbor, um, his wife had like a long battle with cancer and lived longer than they gave her. And, you know, probably six months later, he started dating someone else and, mm-hmm. you know, came to my parents and said, Hey, you know, I just want to let you know, I'm, you know, now dating Sally Sue and mm-hmm. I just want you to be okay with it. And my mom's like, you good? Cause I'm good. Like, like, you know, it's like, I, she's like, I can't judge you because I saw everything you did for your wife. Mm-hmm. And if this person makes you happy and it's a companion, good. I love it. Great. But it's like, you know, the to, like that pressure that you put on yourself that I have to justify that it hasn't been whatever the period amount of time is mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. tell the world why this is happening. Yeah. Yeah. Or even sometimes there's just kind of like a lack of self-trust. I think we're even taught, you know, well, you don't want sex, you know, you just miss human touch. You should just get a massage, like stuff like that. Right. Right. Or get a dog. Like what? No, it, it's very, it, you it, don't make big decisions in the first year as though somehow you can just put all your big decisions on hold, right. you know, stuff like that, that just can make you think, well, because I'm experiencing grief somehow, I can't, I don't know what I want anymore. I can't trust myself to make my own decisions and, and I got to do what other people think is best for me, which is, common and super disempowering yeah you know and just optional completely and you know and and i'm i i'll agree that like maybe in the first 30 days they'll make a big decision but you know when you're getting like six months on and you've like slotted through all the crap you get you get to the point where like you know what i don't want to live in this big house and i want to sell it or i don't want whatever it is that you don't want or I want to move to Kalamazoo, like whatever it is, mm-hmm. you, get to, you get to decide to be like, you know what? I'm not happy. And, yeah. or, you know, living in that house just doesn't make me feel like, makes me think every single day about every memory is in a room and you're like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. And you can like trust yourself to make your own decisions. I mean, I'm an advocate of if there's a big decision to be made and it, and it has a deadline, can we extend the deadline? Like, can, you know, can we push the decision off if we don't really want to make the decision? Sometimes we can, sometimes we can't because, you know, especially if it's spousal loss, there's a lot of decisions in the early oh, days. God, yes. <laughs> you just, they, they just have deadlines. You just got to make them. Right. Um, but then also like, if you aren't really trusting yourself, can you, who do, who in your world do you trust? Can you get a, yeah. a group of like, advisors, you know, who you can run big decisions past just to, to get, because you value their opinion, not because you need it, but because it feels good to you to have it. Um, you know, it's just not realistic to think that we we're not going to make big decisions. Right. And it's always nice. I mean, even if you didn't have laws, it's always nice to have a sanity check to be like, am I just like, cause I shoot from the hip. And so sometimes I need someone to pull me back by the ponytail and just yeah. be like, have you thought this oh. fully through? Like <laughs> not, you know, this is with grief or without grief. I do have a tendency to sometimes bite off more than I can chew. Mm, <laughs> and I sometimes I need a little bit of a sanity check and I'm yeah. grateful that I do have people in my life that I could be like, am I being crazy right now? And I'll be like, oh, mm-hmm. you are. And I'd be like, all right. And you love them and you trust them and they have your best interests in mind. And it feels good to you to have them in your corner as opposed to I need other people's approval. Right. To be okay. Which is exactly. Yeah, exactly. Approval is very different than like a sanity check. And from time to time, we all need that in our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, you know, and I'd like to do, you know, the conversation we're going where it's like you decide where you are, like when you're ready to take the next step, you know, like mm-hmm. you said, there's just certain things that you just got to get that done immediately. Like, you know, you, there's like just life crap that it just, mm-hmm. you need to tie it up, you know, as soon as possible. But then there are other places that you can be like, you know what, I just, I'm not ready to yeah. open that door. You know, maybe they have an office in the, in your house and you're like, I'm not ready to go in there. Yeah. And, and there's no rush. And maybe you're never going to be ready to go in there and you're going to be like, you know what, I'm going to call that friend and they're going to go in there and they're going to deal with mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I love that. I, I'm so glad that I I didn't push myself to deal with the stuff and I I let it happen in a way that felt right. Like 
you know, I remember at one point my kids were gone for the weekend and I decided, okay, in the closet, I feel like I can handle his pants. Mm. Like for some reason, his pants didn't feel so emotional to me and like some of his work stuff. And so I started there, yep. you know, and, and then I would come back and I would do a little bit at a time as it felt right to me. But, you know, people will have opinions about how long it should take you to go through this stuff and what sh you should do with it. And most of them aren't helpful. No. And, you know, so the one thing I'd love to ask you is so, you know, as someone who has been, is a widow, what are some of the things that people should say to you? You know, cause it's like, mm -hmm. you always become the, um, you know, like, I don't, you know, like you don't want to say the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and as you said, people are like, Oh, Krista, you're so strong. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, that's the last damn thing I need to hear from you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I always say, you're probably not going to say the right thing. And if you just make peace with that going in, it's a little easier, right? If you're like, right. I got to say the right thing, then you're going to be stressed out about it. And it's just, we're, we're humans. We're probably going to mess it up and, uh, you know, it, it's okay. Then, then the next thing is what tends to be received as the most dismissive is when you're trying to make the person feel better. And we, we understand why we do this, right? We, if we think emotions are problems and people, the goal of life is to be happy. Right. And when we see someone who's hurting and we don't have the capacity to be okay when they're not okay, we will try to change them. Mm. Oh, they're in a better place. Oh, this was part of God's plan. Oh, you're young. You'll find someone else. Oh, they're not suffering anymore. We will say things because we don't know how to be okay. Aren't when they don't feel okay. Right. And if we can go in knowing that how a problem and we are okay, no matter how they feel, we don't need to feel better so we can feel better. We're just going to be with them as they feel what they feel. That's what was the most supportive to me when people would just be like, you know, this sucks. I love you. You know, right. can we just, you want to go to the bookstore? Like we just right, go to the exactly. bookstore, you know, but I wasn't, nobody was trying to, how do you really feel? Are you okay? Are you really okay? Right. Like, you know, like trying to pry or trying to get me to have an experience that wasn't what I was having. They were just with me as I had the experience. Gotcha. And, and didn't try to make me different. Yeah. That's so powerful. And so I know for me, one of the things that I've been very conscious of is um uh, when someone dies and your friends as a couple to really just make mm -hmm. sure that I reach out, you know, in a regular interval to the widow to just be like, mm -hmm. Hey, Krista, what's going on? How are you doing today? And it just mm -hmm. in a, like, I don't want them to ever feel like just because the spouse is gone, the friendship is gone. Mm -hmm. Widows everywhere are applauding for you right now. <laughs> because it's, so, I mean, the third wheel feeling is so common and, and listen, it's, I hope you don't put all the pressure on yourself because even if you are reaching out, it, it's still entirely possible that sometimes we will still decide we don't belong no matter nope. how many times uh, you ask us. Right. No, nope. but kudos to you for like recognizing that it's all the secondary losses, right? That's another thing I wish I would have understood early on in grief. There's the primary loss. Right. That Right. And, and that's one thing, but then there's all the secondary losses, all the losses that happened because of the primary loss. So couple nights are a great example of that are couple friendships, right? When you're used to being in a couple and one dies, then you not only have the primary loss of the, the spouse, but then you have the loss of that couple experience. Yeah. And those losses are like death by a thousand paper cuts because they just keep coming. The the primary loss is finite. It's done. You can adjust to that. The right. secondary losses never stop, right? Yeah. Even in the future, you expected that when your daughter got married, they would be there and you had grandbabies and they would be there. And like, it's, you know, loss after loss after loss. And that's important. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, and I, for what you said, it's like, 
I'm always respectful of like, you know, meeting her where she is. And I'm like, and I know that for sometimes she's like, she might not be comfortable already and it's, and it's her story and I don't want to change her story, but I'm always like, Hey, whenever, whenever you want, I'm like, we want to come up and have lunch with you mm-hmm. and, you know, be like, just whenever you're ready. And I know for certain things, like we both bought um, second homes at the same time and mm-hmm. they were going to come down like two weeks after he died. And she's like, I, and I, I invited her. I'm like, I go, whenever you're ready, I'm like, come on down and we'll still go out to lunch. And she's like, I'm not ready. And I'm like, when you're ready, you know, you know, my, you my, you know where I am. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, being respectful of her boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I, I know for me, like one of the hardest parts was just like, just call her up and just be like, it's Cindy. Like it's, it's just Cindy. Like there's no other thing just talk to her like if you were calling her up on a regular day yeah it's so easy to feel forgotten by your friends it's it's like this weird space where you your world will never be the same again and you watch other people going back to business as usual and yeah. it's just it hurts you like you just can't you understand it but yet you it's such a, a sh- thing to get used to and and sometimes you know it's like that early couple of months period where the food stops coming, mm-hmm. you know, and people stop calling you every day, the cards stop showing up and then you start to kind of feel alone. Yeah. And so just some of the most meaningful things that people did for me were just text messages, yeah. you know, just little reach outs, just, you know, uh, and I'm thinking of you here and there meant so much to me just to know that I wasn't forgotten and that yeah. she wasn't forgotten. Yeah. And Cause it may, it may, you know, this kind of made me think of like when, you know, someone gets divorced and you're just kind of like, you know, like you said, that coupleness, like that's just who you, you know, your identity. And then depending on the situation, certain friends, you know, fall by the wayside. And mm-hmm. you kind of like, you, like you said, it's like a death by a thousand cuts. You're just like, yeah. here comes an event and you're like, crap, you know, I'm got to go by myself. And you have to like psych mm-hmm. yourself up and you're just like, please don't say the wrong thing to me because I'm trying to be here for at least two hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such another great example of grief too, right? As you, you saw, you saw yourself being married to that person and now you're not. Yeah. Even or, if you ended it. Yeah. Right. You're just like, you know, this is what your fairy tale was. And then you're like, okay, no more fairy tale, you know, time for plan B. It didn't go according to plan. Yeah, exactly. So for that, for someone listening, like, you know, what's one thing that you would say like you've just had a couple of things that you said, Oh, you know, I would have, you know, looking back now, I, I wish I did this a little differently, this a little differently. Like what's one thing that like, you're like, you know, this is for sure. I wish I did differently. You know, after everything happened. For sure. I wish I had learned earlier how to support myself through grief grenades. Mm. And by that, I mean, just it, nothing complicated, and so many tools work, right? So even just a simple like hand on the heart, take a deep breath and give the emotion permission to flow through, you know, mm. um, tapping. I I love uh, tapping emotional freedom technique and I yeah, teach it uh, so much and I wish I had used that earlier. And I, and I knew about tapping before and I used it a little, but I think it, I would have had a much easier experience if I had used it more. Um. And the other thing that I I wish I had known is that time doesn't heal. Mm. And, you know, people will tell you, well, just stay busy, just stay, you know, just stay strong. Basically, just buckle down the first year is the worst. Right. And as much as we want that to be true, and as much as it's nuanced, it just isn't true that in and of itself, the passage of time you know, heals. I, mean, I think it's it's valuable because your brain does need time to adjust to the new reality, right? Your brain needs time to stop predicting that your person should be there or that life should be the way that it was. And over time that will happen. The more your brain gets exposed to the new reality of your life, the more it starts making accurate predictions instead of telling you that, you know, they should be in bed next to you or, or whatnot. So there is value in time passing, but it really is important that we consider how we take care of ourselves mm-hmm. as time passes. 
is. That's why you hear so many people saying the second year is worse than the first because they thought time was going to do all work and they didn't learn how to take good care of themselves. And then time passed and they woke up in year two and went, well, crap, I don't actually feel any better. You know, like this is real now. As right. opposed to how can I learn to support myself earlier and figure out what I need and what self-care looks like for me and, you know. Right, because, you know, that. probably because in the first year you're so busy, like, unraveling all of the life stuff that you probably mm-hmm. didn't really sit down for a hot minute to really process your grief. And so yeah. then here comes round two, year two and you're like, I still feel bad. And you're like, yeah, because you didn't feel anything the first year. Yeah, you just like white knuckled your way through it. You're just like, you know, gripping and holding and 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 like surviving. And that's not nothing to be mad about, you know, as far as like we don't need to be mean to ourselves about it. But the more we can figure out what is supportive and helpful to us in the earlier days of grief, the easier grief gets. Yeah. Because we can better support ourselves and give ourselves what we need. And you know, so many moms that I work with, they just put themselves last oh, on God, the yeah. list. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't work. It doesn't. It works so it doesn't. Right. And then then honestly, what ends up happening is that you have kids that later look back and wish you had taken better care of yourself because they see you not taking care of yourself. You're not helping. They're actually not worried about you instead of just worried about them. So, uh, you know, we got to, it's self-care. We got to figure it out. Yeah. Hard to do, but. But you said something. on us, you know. Right. You said something that I thought that was an interesting term. You called it a grief bomb. How would you describe? Uh, oh, this- grief grenade. Yeah. Grief, grief grenade. How would you describe a grief grenade? Uh, yeah. It's like those moments where it, it's like a, it's a complete surprise of emotion where you're not expecting it. So uh, it's nervous system based. Sometimes it's not. So I don't make blankets, but like, uh, this was years after Hugo died. My partner went to Las Vegas. The car that I had driven that Hugo was getting into the trunk of when the car accident happened was a Toyota Camry, a silver Toyota Camry with like the little fin on the back. That was my car. And I, the last time I saw a silver Toyota Camry was literally the most awful thing ever, right? And I'm years out from this loss and we go to Vegas and the Uber driver picks us up. And what do they pull up in a silver Camry with a fin on it? And where do we have to put our luggage in the trunk of the silver Camry? And so my whole nervous system went, oof, we're unsafe, right? Like intellectually, I knew I was safe. My nervous system did not know that. Mm. And so it was just this poof of, you know, intensity, right? So I describe that as a grief grenade, but it's it's not always just like a, that kind of a memory from the past that was traumatic can just be all of a sudden a song comes on. Oh yeah. 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 But now, now I get it. It's just some some random thing that just pops in that just like, you're just living life. And then, whoa, you are, you know, intense emotion that you didn't expect. And it's, and how do you support yourself when that happens? And how do you also not make yourself wrong because it happened? Because so many people will say, oh, there's something wrong with me. I must not, I must not be doing it right. That shouldn't be that intense, you know? And it's, but But sometimes it is, you know, but I think like, like you said, you know, it could be. Any, everything has an emotional trigger, good, bad, or indifferent. It could be, I hear a song and I remember, oh my God, that trip to Aruba, that was so much fun. For, and mm-hmm. Or it could be like, oh, the trip to Aruba, what a shit show that was. Like yeah. everything has its place. Yeah. And so, you know, just as a human, we are going to have those emotions. And you're right. Like there are those times that just like those emotions sometimes just knock you to your knees when you're, yeah, not, you're expecting just not expecting it. Mm-hmm. Or those emotions could be like the most euphoric thing you've ever experienced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, to your point, it is part of the human experience. Wouldn't it be an easier experience if, if we normalized that for ourselves and we didn't make it about right or wrong or good or bad, or, you know, any of the judgment that just adds suffering Yeah, to the emotions. It's just so not necessary. Yeah. And it's always, you know, our judgment of like, what are, what are people going to think? You know, am I doing it right? You know, as, as we mm-hmm. started the conversation, am I doing it right? And I mean, you know, as after hearing from you, there is no right way. It's like, what's like, how are you feeling in the moment? And 
And let's just start there. Your grief experience is going to be your grief experience. You cannot do it wrong. Yeah. Right. Yes. A hundred percent. So Kristen, I want to thank you so much for your time. I've like learned so much about this and it's just, you know, very, um, for my listeners and hopefully, you know, new listeners, I hope that everyone just realized like you do you <laughs> like in anything in life and in grief, you have to do you. And, you know, I, I want to say find that support system, you know, that group of people who like, maybe if you are getting crazy, they can just call you out and just say you're being crazy or that person who you can just literally like sit on their couch for a week and cry your eyes out. If that's what you, that's what you need. Um, yeah. But I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And I always ask all of my guests one thing. What's one thing that makes you feel magical? Uh, um, you know, right now, it, there's a lot of magic around my kids. Ah. So um, like, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. My youngest, he's 16. And I'm just so in awe of him sometimes. You know, he's a teenager, so he's a brat sometimes too. But the emotional awareness that that child has is magical to me. Like I swear he is the converse. Sometimes the things he says just blow me away. And I just am like, I get to be this human's mother and he is magical. And that makes me feel magical. Right. Cause you're like, I wasn't having these conversations when I was 16. Who are you? (laughs) I know. Sometimes the stuff he said, I'm just like, buddy, like the, the awareness that you have at 16 is it's he's an old soul. I don't know if that's a thing, but I kind of think it is. It's a total thing. And it just blows me away. Uh, And I learned so much from him and I, you know, early parenting was about survival and sometimes, sometimes those moments are still but the older they get and the more personalities they have, the more it really does feel like I'm just magical. Nice. I love that. I love it. It's funny. I met a 11 year old this weekend and we had this very in-depth discussion about friends, the TV show. Aww. Oh, the TV show. Okay. In-depth discussion about friends, the TV show and characters. And I'm like, hang on. I'm like, you're, you're 11. 11. And I'm like, you wouldn't even have thought when this show was on TV and he's like, oh, I just binged all the seasons. I really love that show. And I'm like, and I'm like having this conversation. I was like, this is what I would have a conversation with an adult about. Isn't it fun to think about that? Like we can have really cool conversations with people who aren't even born yet. Yes. Like they're going to be old enough for us to have conversations with them. And they aren't even a glimmer in someone's eye yet. Yeah. That's and, I'm, cool. and so like, I get what you're saying that you're just like, you're like, I wasn't that intuitive or into anything when I was that age. <laughs> no. And I'm like, and I birthed this human, and, but I don't think, I mean, I don't think I did that, it, right. but, but it's sure like, is magical to like be a part of it. And the magic stardust of parenting. I got a good mm-hmm. one. <laughs> yeah, I did. I got two good ones for sure. So is your youngest 16 and your oldest is? Is 19. Oh, nice. That's a good yep. separation. Yeah. She just got back. She did her uh, freshman year study abroad. She did a Costa Rica in the fall and Spain in the spring. And now she's having a really hard landing of coming back to Kansas and trying to figure out how do I adjust to. Yeah. We're not cosmopolitan here. We're (laughs) not Spain, Uh, but you know, it's it's the life experience she's supposed to have. So. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Krista. And I really, really enjoyed this conversation and anyone, um, Krista, where can they find you on the socials? Yeah. So on Facebook, it's coaching with Krista on Instagram. It's life coach, Krista and website coaching with Krista. And then the podcast is called the widowed mom podcast. And I would encourage people to listen, even if they aren't widows or moms, honestly, if you just want to learn about grief or you're interested in post-traumatic growth or how you can support someone who's experiencing grief, it's, it's good information. Yeah. You know, I never really thought about any of this until my friend, Amy, she's a a state lawyer and it just, you know, the, the hard conversations you got to have now and it's, yeah. and it sucks. And if you're, I don't know, pre, you're never going to be prepared, but if you can go in knowing that there isn't these five steps that I'm going to go through and I could start with anger and then I could leave, I could stay there for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My experience won't be wrong. Right. No matter how it happens. Yeah. And so I think, I think listening to your podcast is just, we're very eye opening, 
even if you are not in that position. But if you have been in that position, knowing that, you know, if you're still in that like grieving stage and it's been umpteen years, it's okay. You don't have to get over it. Yeah, totally. Please, please don't tell yourself you have to get over it. You're going to move forward with it, but there's no such thing as getting over it. Yeah. Thanks for being willing to have a conversation about grief, Kim, truly. No, I want to have these hard conversations because sadly it's coming for all of us and Mm -hmm. it's just a matter of when, and especially during the last several years that we've had, I think Mm -hmm. many of us have experienced it um, more than we ever thought in our life. Yeah, totally. Agree. So thank you so much for taking the time and I will chat with you soon. All right, magic makers, please, please, please reach out to Krista. If you are feeling anything or you have a friend who needs to hear this, feel free to share this episode. Thank you for listening to the Fit Girl Magic Podcast. If you've made it this far, yay. I'm thinking you enjoyed the show. Let's continue the conversation on Instagram. You can find me at Kim Jefferson Coach. In order for me to keep sharing this message, do me a favor and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. New episodes are available every Wednesday. The Fit Girl Magic Podcast is intended to provide you with tips, tools, and strategies that will help you make better decisions about your health. I really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you so much.